John's Gospel, chapter 19, please. I'm going to have to behave myself this evening, this morning. I carried away and near lost my voice. And I've nearly lost it again singing there, so I may try and behave myself. John 19, and we're just going to lift out a few verses. Verse 28, please. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Keep your Bible open, but let's pray. Father, thank you for every head, every heart, and every home that is represented this evening here. Thank you, Lord, for those who have come along this evening, come under the sound of thy word and to Praise the name of the Lord Jesus, your Son. For those who are watching live on Facebook and YouTube, Lord, we pray that you would bless them, that they may receive an abundant blessing where they are. And so we pray, Father, where this night be over, Lord, that someone or some will come to saving knowledge of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Lord, would you draw them? Would you speak to them? Would you quicken their spirit? And Lord, would you save them? Give them repentance unto life. And glorify the name of thine only begotten, the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name and for his glory and for his sake alone we ask it. Amen. The thirsty Christ and his final cry. The thirsty Christ and his final cry. How many times can a person look at the same portion of scripture and yet it is still as fresh and new all over again to them when they read it? You may take it and read it time after time after time. You may even hear it preached time after time after time. And yet, suddenly it becomes, to the preacher, fresh bread. For the people, fresh bread. Something for them to feast upon. The living word just keeps giving and giving and giving. This last week, I kept over and over my head. I thirst, it is finished. I thirst, it is finished. I thirst. It is finished. Captain over, I read it, and I read it until I sat down to write it. It wouldn't let me go. It's very evident that the love of God is like that. When he sets himself upon a man and a woman, he will not let you go. His love will continue to reach you. His grace will draw you. And the blood of his son will save you. This wouldn't let me go all week. And so I decided I'm going to sit. And I'm going to write just whatever comes to my heart. 
my mind and my spirit. I don't know how many times I've preached on this subject. I don't know how many times I've preached from this particular portion of Scripture. But this text kept coming out to me. I thirst. It is finished. It is finished raced through my mind so much that I even thought of that old hymn by William A. Williams. There is a story sweet to hear. I love to tell it too. It fills my heart with hope and cheer. Tis old, yet ever new. And hence the word of God has been like that and is like that, that when you read it a hundred times or more, And the preacher has preached on it many times, yet there's always something new to be found in the Word of God. Never grows stale. God doesn't give stale bread. Always fresh to those who will wait for it and receive it. In verse 28, notice here, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. I thirst. Now, this is the Son of God hanging on a cross between heaven and earth and between two other crosses. And he says, I thirst. It gripped me. I mean, this, I've read it, I've even spoken bits about it before, but it gripped me. And I thought about it, and how can the fountain of living waters, who Christ is, how can he become so thirsty to cry from the cross, I thirst? We find here that most people, many people, they miss out on what is known as the dual nature of, Of the Lord Jesus Christ. The dual nature. The nature of fully human. And the nature being fully divine. And hence hanging on the cross. He who is fully divine. Tasted of the pangs of thirst. Through the body which was prepared for him. Calvary. I thirst, says the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice here, the fountain of living waters in John chapter 4 comes to a woman, and this woman is in Samaria. And Samaria, it says, Jesus must needs go through Samaria, and he finds a woman of ill repute, a woman who's had Five husbands on number six comes to the well in the heat of the day when no one would want to really know this woman, but nevertheless, she's at the well and Christ comes and he meets her. He must needs go through Samaria because he had a divine appointment to meet this woman. He had a divine appointment to meet a woman who no one else would think much about. I remember the day in the hour he came into my life and saved me. There was a divine appointment when I heard the gospel. A man who was lost. A man who was sinful. A man 
who was addicted to drugs and alcohol. A man who wasn't too strange to violence. Christ must needs go through Samaria and Christ must needs have met me that night when Pastor James McConnell preached on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder if there's someone tonight and you're here, maybe you've just been invited and you, don't, you wonder even, what am I doing here? I believe there's no coincidences with God, but it's a God incident that God has brought you here to hear the word of God because he loves you and wants you to know that his son gave his life for you and died for you. And this woman at the well, it actually says Jesus was thirsty. The humanity of the Lord was thirsty. And hence there is a, a dialogue comes between the Lord Jesus and this woman. And he asks her to drink and she says, I've nothing to draw, I'm paraphrasing for time, I've nothing to draw water with. And then he says these wonderful words, John 4 and verse 14. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water. Take note, he's at a well with this woman. She's coming to draw water. But he says, the water that I will give you will be like a well in you. You will carry this water. Will be a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Can you go with me please to Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 12. I just come to a little bit of, just a little bit of teaching for a few moments. Isaiah chapter 12 it's only got six verses. We'll read a few of them. Look at verse 2. Behold, God is my salvation. Notice, behold, God is the word El, as in Elohim and El Elyon and so on. Behold, God, El is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He has also become my salvation. Therefore, because he's my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. Now, do you see the word salvation in verse 2? See the word salvation in verse 3? You can underline it, and every time it says salvation, you write Yeshua. Yeshua. Now, let's read it. Behold, El, the Almighty God, is my Yeshua. Do you know who Yeshua is? We hear of Yeshua HaMashiach is Jesus Messiah. It is the Hebrew name of Jesus. Behold, El, the great Almighty God, the creator of the universe, he's my Jesus. I will trust and not be afraid for Yah is for the Lord. Yah as in Yahweh. Yah Jehovah, the ever living God, is my strength and my song. He also has become my Yeshua, my Jesus. Yahweh is Jesus and Jesus is Yahweh. He didn't begin at Bethlehem, you know. 
And verse 3, therefore, with joy, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. With joy shall you draw water out of the wells of Yeshua. Jesus at the well said this woman, I'll make you a well to draw the water of salvation out. Here Jesus to a woman, a sinner of ill repute. He must needs go through Samaria and he meets her there. And he says, if you come to me, he says, the water you drink, you will thirst again. But this water shall be a well of water in you that you'll never thirst again. That you'll never thirst again. You see, in our lives, we try to, we try to fulfill the thirst and even the hunger with the relationships. We try to fill the void, that aching gap that's in us with, with substance. Try and fill it with, with the worldliness and the things of the world because nothing seems to satisfy us. There's nothing seems to fill the aching void. That's the hamreter could say, I tried the broken cisterns, Lord, but ah, the waters failed. And as I stooped to drink, they fled and mocked me as I wailed. Now none but Christ can satisfy. None other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy. Lord Jesus, find in thee. I have experienced, I have drank from the wells of salvation and Christ has set me free. God alone can fulfill that need. Christ alone can fill that aching void and gap in the heart that man and woman tries their best to fill it with. And yet the next day they need another drink and the next day they need Another drug in the next day. I used to call it, I'm on my merry-go-round. You go out and you pub it and you club it and you take your drink and your drugs. You get your high and you have your excitement. And the next day your head's banging. You feel sick and you're shaky all over. And you must go get another one. You're back back on the roundabout again. And the next day and then the next day and the next day. And not only do you become poor in pocket, but poor in spirit. Lost in your mind. Paranoid in all your ways. And it gets worse and worse. There's an aching void. And the more you think you'll try to be happy, you can't, it makes you worse. But one night when I heard of the saving grace of God and our Lord Jesus Christ, I heard of the Lamb of God bearing away my sin in his own body on the tree. I heard that Christ can save the vilest of sinners. That Christ could save a wretch like me. And I mean I was a wretch. And I heard that Christ could set me free, deliver me. And I heard Christ would save me for eternity. I heard the sweetest song ever. The song of the redeemed. Called upon the name of the Lord. And I was saved. Friends, brothers and sisters, you know what that is. You've drank from the wells of salvation. 
And if you're here tonight and you're thirsty, there was a thirsty Christ on the cross. He understands everything about you. He knows every way you've taken. He knows where your feet have trod. And he loves you still. And he loves you still. He met this woman at the well. And here, as Isaiah says in chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, Therefore, with joy, he says in verse 3, Shall you draw waters out of the well of salvation, out of the wells of Yeshua, out of the wells of Jesus? In John chapter 7 and in verse 37, we're told that the, the disciples were sent ahead to the Feast of the Tabernacles. Jesus said he wouldn't go, but at the last day he was planning to go. It's called that last day, the great day of the feast. It's when it comes to a climax. And what they did was they lived in little booths to remind them of their traversing through the wilderness coming out of Egypt. And there at the last day, what they did was they had a solemn assembly. Everyone sat with quiet and solemnity. And there down through towards the temple as the blood was shed of the animals and there it was flowing freely down. They carried on great big pitchers on their shoulders, these big vases full of water. They brought it to the altar where there was blood sacrifice. And when the time was right, they poured the water out and there was the water and the blood flowed down. And when the blood and the water flowed down, they lifted the shofars, the ram's horns, the trumpets, and they blew the sound in Israel. It was called the Feast of Tabernacles. And everyone went into a praise of joy. Everyone went into an uproar, a great uproar, as they blew the horns and they blew them. And Jerusalem was alive. It was thriving with great throngs of people. And the blood and the water flowed down from the altar. On the last day, the great day of the feast, that day, a stranger comes, a figure stands. And it says in John chapter 7 and verse 37, this figure, this stranger is the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. What does he mean by this? If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. The people are having a party. The people are having a great time. The people are so joyous, they're rejoicing. Look at the blood and look at the water flowing from the altar. There Jesus stands and says, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. As the scripture said out of his belly, shall flow rivers of living water. You shall draw water out of the wells of Yeshua. Draw water out of the wells of Jesus. What Jesus was saying is this. You can have your feast. And you can have your festival. And you can have the pomp and the ceremony. And you can bring the vessels of water. 
and you can bring them to the altar and you can pour it out over the blood and you can blow the shofar and you can rejoice and be glad and you can shout all over the place and let Jerusalem be in an uproar. But when you go home, when you go home, you're going home the same way you came. That's what he's saying. You'll go home to your same worries, your problems, and then your sin. He says, you'll go home the same way you came. But if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Ah. Is there anyone thirsty tonight? Is there anyone thirsty? Jesus hanging on the cross. The wells of water of salvation. He says, I thirst. I thirst. He who can give drink of eternal life for all who will come to him, who are drawn by the Father, hangs on the cross and he says, I thirst. Oh, this week, this text It's like the old Puritan said, screw the truth into men's minds. The Lord was screwing this text into my mind. Will you go home tonight without Christ? Will you go out the same way you come in? What about you, Christian? Would you go home the same way you come in? Or will you go home rejoicing you're saved? Will you go home rejoicing that you're Christ's? Will you go home full of the spirit of the living God, praising him and rejoicing in him? Why? Because you've drawn waters out of the wells of salvation. Because not only have you drawn water out of the wells of salvation, tonight you've come and you've drunk deep from the well. Maybe there's someone here and they've tried the broken cisterns. And ah, the waters have failed you. Even as you stooped to drink, they fled. And they mocked you as they wailed you. Now none but Christ can satisfy. No other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy. Lord Jesus found in thee. So in John 19 and verse 27, the Lord Jesus Christ hanging in an agony, he cries, I thirst. I thirst. He who created all things, he who upholds all things by the word of his power according to Hebrews 1 and 3, he who alone can save said himself in John 14 and 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He said, I'm uniquely the way to God. Peter says in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Or as the text says, there's no second name but the name of Jesus. He is now hanging in an agony saying, I thirst. 
When you think about it in the book of Exodus, away in the Old Testament, when Israel were coming out of Egypt, as we said earlier, in Exodus 15, he turned the bitter waters of Marah into sweet. Israel came, they needed a drink, and the Lord told Moses, Moses came to the water and it was bitter. It was undrinkable. It would have poisoned them. And Israel were complaining. And God said to Moses, there's a tree, it says, and he showed him a tree. And Moses went and cut it down. He threw it into the waters. The water was called Mara. It means bitter. And he threw the tree into the waters. And when he done that in faith, what God had told him to do, the waters were made sweet and were able to drink of the water. Did he not show us a tree in our bitterness? Did he not show you a tree? Showed me a tree. And my sin showed a tree of life, Calvary's tree, thrown into the bitterness of sin in our lives and the the moral waters that we live in. There he made it sweet again. He made life worthwhile again. Jesus said, the thief, the devil cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. Listen, he says, I am come. Christ said it, I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Oh, the abundant life that Christ will give the sinner who repents and comes and the abundant life that's in Christ for the man and the woman who claim him but never go to drink from him. It's back to Calvary, folks. He showed Moses a tree. It's back to the tree. Back to Calvary. The Lord Jesus said in Exodus 16 that he gave Israel bread from heaven. You know, they went to bed at night and there was manna on the ground. They called it angel's food. Manna was on the ground. Listen, every single night, now think about this. Every single night, you think of you with your children. You think of you with your your spouse and your children going to bed with nothing. No Tesco's or Asda's or anywhere like that you can go to. No animals even to hunt. No fishing to be had. You're in the middle of a wilderness and you have nothing. And the Lord says, you go to bed at night. When you get up in the morning, I'll have bread for you at your door. And every morning when they got up, there was manna, angels food, bread at the door. And they gathered it for one day. They had to go to bed that night trusting in the Lord for the next. And it happened night after night after night. Save coming to the Sabbath day. They collected for two nights that they wouldn't work on the Sabbath. Listen, brothers and sisters. When Israel were sleeping in their beds, the ovens of heaven were baking. When Israel were sleeping in their beds, the ovens of heaven were baking. God was preparing their breakfast for the morning. And it was Christ who was with them. He says, I am the bread of life. That's what he says. I am that bread of life. And then in Exodus chapter 17, he gave them water out of a flinty rock. Fresh, flowing 
pouring water out of a flinty rock. Yet he says on the cross, I thirst. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul tells us that all our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea. Speaking of the Red Sea, Moses and Israel going through the Red Sea. That all our fathers were under the cloud and through the sea. And listen what he said, there was a rock that followed them. And that rock, he said, was Christ. That rock was Christ. Now he hangs in agony and he says, I thirst. Take note and do not miss the point of this. The great creator who took upon himself the form of a man was fulfilling all prophecy as he hung on the cross and cried, I thirst. In Psalm 22, it's known as the Psalm of the Cross. And verse 15 and verse 16, this is what it says. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, like a broken, dry piece of pottery in the desert sand that's been thrown out and left for the sun to dry up completely. This is the psalm of the cross. This is Christ. This is a thousand years. One thousand years before it happened. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. How thirsty were you, Lord? How thirsty was the Son of God? My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. You see how dry this is? Verse 16, for dogs have compassed me, the Roman soldiers. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, the leaders of the Jews. They pierced my hands and my feet. 1,000 years. Here's the wonderful thing about that text. When it was written by David a thousand years before it happened, crucifixion was virtually unknown. And if they did, they pierced the hands and never the feet. Never the feet. But they pierced the hands on the feet of Christ. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. In Isaiah 53 is the the chapter of the prophecy of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53 and verse 2, listen to what it says. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. The dry ground was where jury, where J-E-W-R-Y. The dry ground of their religion. No water, no living water, no wells of water. Religiously lost and dead. And he shall grow up before him. That is the son shall grow up before the father. The father watching him in Bethlehem. 
The father watching him at 12 in the temple. The father watching him as he played as a boy. The father watching him grow up. And the father watching him every day. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant. As a root out of a dry ground. Now the Father watches him on Calvary's tree. The Father watches him on the cross. The Father watches him bleeding and dying and hanging in an agony. And he cries, I thirst. And with a spirit of prophecy from Psalm 22. For my strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Oh, the very sanitized, the very sanitized and the very pasteurized films they would put on, even at their worst, even at their most graphic and gross of the the crucifixion of Christ, hanging there full of blood even, he goes, I thirst. Is that it? May the Spirit of God let us see him tonight. I thirst. My tongue is cleaving to my very jaw. I'm like a broken, dried up piece of pottery that's lying in the sand with the sun beating on it. I thirst. May the Spirit of God show us Him. May the Spirit of God show us Him. He who created man, he who came down to man, I want you to get this point now. He who became a man, he who is the saviour of man, listen, is now he who receives help from man. He's now he who receives help Help from a man, a sinner. Where do you find this? Let us look at our reading. Verse 29, Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head up and and gave up the ghost. There it is. The God of the universe the creator of the heavens and the earth and all that is therein, the upkeeper with his word, the great I am, Jehovah, Yeshua, HaMashiach, now bleeds, dying on the cross in Calvary. And there he cries, I thirst! And a rotten, guilty, filthy, hell-deserving sinner takes some hyssop and he pushes it to his mouth. What a stoop for Christ. What a great stoop for the Son of God. He didn't just become like one of us. He went all the way to the cross and carried your dirt and filth and sin and transgressions in mine until a sinner even has to give him a drink. And notice, he took the hyssop 
Do you know what the hyssop reminds us of? Remember the Lord says that he was bringing Israel out. The tenth plague would be the death angel coming through. Get the lamb and slay the blood and put it upon in the basin and put the blood in the door, post in the door lintels. It says, take it and hyssop. Put the blood on. Here he takes the hyssop, this Roman soldier, stirs it in the vinegar. He gives it to the Lord. Mind you, it's not the first drink they give him when he refused it. There was gall in it. There was anesthetic in it. This one was vinegar wine, a grape juice. He tasted it on his mouth. It is finished. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and in verse 9. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. Thinking about the stoop of Christ from heaven's glory. From heaven's glory to the cross of Calvary. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, the king of heaven... That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. How poor were you, Lord? Oh, you had not where to lay your head. Yes, well, maybe that's one thing. That wasn't the poorness of it. He's hanging with his tongue cleaving to his jaws, bleeding in agony, innocent, dying for the guilty. He's so poor he needed a sinner to give him a drink. The fountain of living water. That ye through his poverty might be made rich. You know something? You might be like me and you haven't got much. God meets our need. That's all we need. But you might be like me and you haven't got much. But I'm going to tell you now. I'm richer than I've ever been. I'm rich. I'm a child of the king tonight. I'm rich. I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus tonight. I'm rich. I don't have a big gaping void in my heart that needs to be fulfilled with the things of the world. I'm rich. I'm saved by the grace of God tonight. I'm rich. You know how rich I am? It took the blood of Jesus to pay for my soul. For what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall he give in exchange for his soul? And I could never pay for my soul. So John 19 and verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, Would you say accomplished? Would you say it is finished? Would you say accomplished? It is finished. Now accomplished and it is finished are the same Greek word. Teleos. The full sentence some would pronounce it as teleste. But it's teleos. And it means to finish. To bring to an end, 
not merely to terminate a thing, but to carry out a thing to the full. Look, do you ever get someone in there doing doing a job for you? And all of a sudden they're working away and they get so far and they throw the head up and leave the job. Take the head staggers and you have to look for someone else to finish it off. Well, some think that Telos may have been, he finished to that spot. No, it doesn't mean that. If you get someone, they do the job exactly to the T, right to the finish, to the end, until full completion. And you go, that's a great job. That is a great job. You look around it, you inspect it, and you check it, and everything's ready. You go, that's a fantastic job. That's Talios. Accomplished, it is finished. Jesus didn't come and just stop at the cross. He went all the way. He died in our room instead. He went into the grave. He rose again the third day, sent in the glory, and now he's at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. Guess what? It's accomplished at Calvary. It is finished at Calvary. Jesus fully completed the job. You don't have to say, well, I'm going to have to get someone else to finish the rest because Jesus paid it all in its fullness, in its entirety. Let me give you an idea as we round this up of this word, taleo or talos, for it is finished or for accomplished. Second Timothy chapter 4, if you want to turn, and verse 7. Second Timothy 4, and verse 7. Listen to the words of Paul. Paul is ready. Our pastor used to say, Paul is in the departure lounge. In other words, he's ready to leave. His time is up. He was going to be beheaded. Paul is in the departure lounge. Notice, I have fought a good fight. See the word ah for a good fight. Really, the the word there should be the good fight because it's what's known as the definite article. The good fight, not any good fight. Sure, people people have uh, causes to fight for all the time. People fight over different things, different causes. And they say, I fought a good fight. Well, I fought mine. I fought mine for Islam. Or I fought mine for Judaism. Or I fought mine for whatever. I fought mine in politics. I fought mine for this, that, and the other. That's not the way it reads. I have fought the good fight. The definite article. The one that Christ has led in me. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. The word finished there, again, is the word teleo. For it is finished or accomplished. Paul was saying, I have done everything that Christ has set me to do. I'm now ready to be delivered. My time is at hand. 
I'm going to lose my head on a Roman chopping block. It's done. It's over. Paul is given the idea of a Greek runner in a race. He has crossed the finish line and is now resting at the finish goal. Paul has fought to the finish and he's now resting in victory. He fought the Gnostics. He fought the Judaizers. He fought the Romans. He fought the philosophers of Athens. He fought and he fought on. And now he has finished. The work is done and is fully completed. And Paul says in its fullness, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Now we can only imagine what Paul went through to complete and finish his work. He tells us of the litany of all the things that happened to him. He was in the in, in shipwrecks and he was beaten many times. He was put in prison. Wow. Say out there, Christian, today, and they'll say, but you're not being very Christ-like because you're not obeying all the authorities, Paul. And you wrote Romans 13, Paul. People take it out of context every time. That's another story. You can only imagine what a man like Paul went through. And yet we can never comprehend all what the Lord Jesus fulfilled and accomplished on the cross. The great terminal point of history was when Christ said it is finished. Changed history. Changed the destiny of man. It changed the eternal welfare of millions. It's finished. I have died and paid your fullest debt. So, with the thought of Christ dying, do you know people are now putting it that Jesus committed suicide? That's what they're trying to say. While others say Jesus never died at all, while others said, yes, the Romans took him and they just slayed him because they were able to. Three of them are alive. I'm closing with this thought. Listen to what the Lord Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 15. As the Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life. He said, I lay down my life. For the sheep. He laid his life down. Listen to John 10 and 18. No man taketh it from me. The words of Christ. No man taketh it from me. But I lay it down of myself. And have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it again. Notice this commandment have I received of my father. See the word power there. I have the power to lay it down. The power to take it again. It's the word exousia. Exousia. I have the right 
I have the privilege. I have the license. I have the authority to lay my life down. It's not suicide. It wasn't taken off him by Roman soldiers. I lay it down on myself. And my father's commanded me that I can take it up again. The death of Jesus was completely voluntary. Cruel hands and wicked hearts may have carried it out, but Jesus laid himself down. It was the commandment of his father. And listen, he kept his father's word and law to the T. I finish with this. Thank you for your attention. In John 19 and verse 28, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished. And in verse 30 it says, he cried out, it's finished. He didn't say, I am finished. He didn't say it will be finished. He said, it is finished. Jesus knows the work was finished. But many others don't seem to realize it was finished. The Father knows it was finished, for he commanded it to be so. And the Father accepted the finished work of his Son on the cross. Now listen, don't miss this. The Father accepted the finished work of his Son on the cross when he cried, it is finished. I thirst. It is finished. The Father accepted the finished work. The resurrection from the dead was the Father's amen son to the cry it is finished by Christ on the cross. It is finished, Father. I've completed it to the full. Amen, son, at the resurrection. Amen. The thirsty Christ on his final cry. Brothers and sisters, tonight I trust you have been given a different view, another view of what happened to Calvary. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. May we keep this in our minds as we go home throughout the week and forever how long may we keep it in our hearts that Christ said it is finished. Team, would you come up, please? May the Lord bless you tonight.